Hebrews 13, first verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the lengthy verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. In our last sermon from these verses, I presented part of God's work for pastors, especially their duties toward church members. I summarized those under four headings, teaching the word of God, modeling the faith, ruling the church, and watching over members. Each of these could be expanded and other duties added to them, as I hope to do next Lord's Day, as we look at other titles or descriptions of the pastoral office. I trust that all together that will give you a balanced and fuller understanding of the pastor's work, not as defined by him or any human being, but by God himself. Amen. But this morning, I want us to look at the four required responses of church members. All of this to their pastor's work. Now, just like the pastor has other responsibilities than to the members, members have other responsibilities than just to the pastors. For example, you have responsibilities to each other. But we'll be looking at the duty you have to respond rightly to your pastors in these verses. And that is because that is the main point of the verses we just read. You know, we derive what pastors ought to be doing from these verses, not because it's the primary focus of the text, it's not. But when we study the main point about how members are to respond to their leaders, then we figure out what those leaders' job description is. Well, here there are four commands that Christ gives to his church to obey. So let's look at the duties of members in response to their pastors. The duties of members in response to their pastors. First, remember them and their teaching. Remember them and their teaching. Members are first commanded not to forget their former leaders or their teaching. The pastors he is referring to have died. This is clear from the verb tenses and the fact that their outcome of life has been reached. So the command is to remember the men and their message, the past men and their message. These were probably the pastors who birthed these members in the gospel. They pulled out their Septuagints they had them, their Greek Old Testaments, and they showed these church members Jesus Christ from there. 
They led them into the knowledge of God from the word of God. And so this verse is urging them to value their own personal Christian history and the men who played a role in leading them to Jesus Christ. Now the word for remember here is the root for our English word mnemonic. And mnemonic is a device or a method for remembering things. The point is that there are some things worth remembering, worth recalling to mind again and again, over and over from your earlier Christian life. And previous pastors and their teaching is one of them, says God in this verse. So was there a pastor who led you to Christ? Perhaps God opened your spiritual ears on a day when he was preaching. Maybe a pastor wasn't the one who gave you the gospel first, but perhaps there were learned from them important scriptures. Maybe a previous pastor taught you the glories of God's sovereign salvation toward unworthy sinners. Perhaps a previous pastor opened up the beauties of the doctrines of grace. Maybe he showed you the glories that are in Jesus Christ. Did he point you to the importance of God's house, the local church, and urge you to join? When he spoke the word of God, maybe you learned that sin always leads to misery. Or that worship is first and foremost for God. Or that the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Did he show you how to confess your sins and believe that God forgives so that you can know peace of conscience? Well, if so, then remember that man and be thankful to God for him. You know, some Christians remember their conversion dates as birthdays. Others remember days of unusual deliverance from sin or danger. But however you do it, this verse is a call, yes, a command, to keep remembering those who spoke the word of God to you. Why? Why? Why is this an important command? Because persevering in the truth is necessary for you to get to heaven. Remember, that's the theme of this whole book. And he hasn't forgotten it. He's still hammering it home. Forgetting what God has done in your past through the leaders and through scripture endangers you in your marathon run. Of course, your former leaders weren't perfect. No more so than any of the heroes of Hebrews 11 were perfect. But they are worthy of remembrance because God used them to support you in the Christian life. So that's the first duty of members, how to respond to their pastors. In regard to past leaders, Remember them and remember what they taught you. The second duty is this, 
to consider their victory. Consider the former leader's victory. This considering is a call to regularly reflect on how they lived their life and where it got them. And this is to be a continual considering. In other words, this is to be a permanent part of your life. You are supposed to think back and inspect their faith and recognize the outcome of their faith. We are to weigh the goal they reached and then imitate them. So in looking at past leaders, we asked, how do they live? What did they live for? And after considering this question, we answer, they lived according to the word of God. They lived by faith and in light of the promises of God. They didn't settle for their best life. Now, that's too little. That's to be impoverished. They lived for eternity. They lived for glory. They lived for a heavenly country, for something far better than anything this present life can give. And when they lived that way, where did it get them? I mean, like, how did that work out for them at death? It worked out gloriously. There is no human language that can adequately describe how well this turned out for them. It's pictured in scripture as perfection, as blessedness, or really blessednesses, happiness and joys indescribable. It's described as eternal life. It's described as rest. Their spirits are made perfect and they rejoice in the presence of the ever-blessed God. They don't know any tears. They don't know any trouble. They have not a single lack. They have inherited glory from Christ, a resurrection to life itself. They finished the marathon and now they wear the crown of victory. So this reflection, this considering, is for the purpose of imitating them, or as the word is, to mimic them. That's how closely you ought to pay attention to the life and doctrine of your leaders, especially your past ones. You ought to be a mimic to them. Now the verse isn't advocating any kind of slavish personality cult. But it is telling us that if we see how it turned out for them, we ought to want the same good goal. And if so, then we have to imitate their faith. So church leaders model for members what faith and obedience look like. Not perfectly, obviously, but really. Leaders display hope and faith in the promises of God. They finish their course in life in such a way that other Christians will say, following God in faith is absolutely worth it. That's what I want. 
I choose to live that way. Look, he gained the inheritance. He finished the course. He received the reward. They learn that faith is the way to victory. And they say, and I want victory too. Now someone might say, no. Someone will say, I've heard this way too many times in my life. But I don't need mere men or memories. I just need to remember and consider Jesus. Well, now that sounds really hyper-holy, doesn't it? But God doesn't agree with you if you think that way. How do I know that? Because this verse is his words, not mine, and he tells you to remember these mere men and to imitate them so that you too will by faith arrive at glory. Here is a reason to thank God for Christ's gifts of pastor teachers from our personal past and even from long ago. Some of you have pastors who've been dead for hundreds of years. I do. I learned to preach the Old Testament by a man who's been dead 500 years. He's a father in the faith to me. I'm so grateful for him. We ought to remember men of the past who spoke the word of God to us in their writings. We ought to consider well leaders who set an example of courageous overcoming. Because like Abel, though dead, they all still speak to us and they urge us heavenward. You see, the Lord knows that real life examples help us. Examples of still sinful, very imperfect, sometimes glaringly bad brothers. They help us. Why? Because we're like that. We need the assurance that not only Jesus made it to the finish line, but wicked men who exercise faith in Jesus Christ can also get there. This is why Hebrews 11 is in Scripture. This is why this verse is here. Because there is great value in godly examples in our own experience. As Hebrews 6.12 says, we ought not to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Brethren, remember your leaders. Consider their victory and imitate their life in faith. Here's the third command from Christ to church members. You are to obey and submit to your leaders. You're to remember them. You are to consider their victory. And you are to obey and to submit to them. Verse 17. Now with verse 17, the picture changes. Because we know here, from the way this is written, that these church leaders are still living and still ruling and still watching over Christ's church. So what's the right response to them? Well, the answer is simply obedience and submission. Now, we often use these two words 
interchangeably in English, uh, but they are definitely not the same thing in this verse. And let's take a, a quick, close look at both of these words. This word for obedience means to follow someone because you have been persuaded by them. Following someone because of persuasion. In other words, this is an obedience you are called to based in a shared conviction and even trust. In other words, when they say, do this, you agree because you're convinced that what they are telling you is rooted in the word of God. Your judgment is carried that they've not made up in their own heads what they're asking you to do, this rule that they are requiring, but can show you that it is God's rule. So to obey them is to obey God. Children, when your parents tell you to do something and they order you to obey them, if what they're telling you God agrees with, then you are not only obeying your parents, you are actually obeying God himself. In fact, when you disobey your parents, your great sin isn't in disobedience to them. Your greater sin is that you are defying the authority that God has given. You are defying God himself. This is an obedience that does not ask you to violate your conscience. So this is scriptural obedience. Now that fits well with the word for leader or ruler in the verse. You remember two weeks ago, we explained that this noun means a governor or a ruler. What I didn't mention then, because it fits better here, is that when it's used as a verb, it often means to think or to consider. So it's a ruling or a leading with thought and wisdom not merely out of a position of power. So the obedience demanded by Christ for pastors of his church is real obedience, but it's not a slavish compliance rooted in sheer authority. The pastor's authority is primarily rooted in his role as a teacher. Remember, what's his main Responsibility to explain and implement the word of God. Not to give you his own thoughts and not to order you around based on what he wants you to do. No, Christian leaders are servants of God. Pastors primarily serve the word to the flock. That's how they lead. That's how they rule. Mark 10.35, Jesus said, The Gentile rulers lord it over their subjects. But Christian leaders are supposed to act as servants. And the way they do that is by serving you with authority, the word of God. This is what God says about this situation. Here's how you and I are to believe and speak and act. 1 Peter 5.3, the elders are not to be domineering, but they're to be examples. So church leaders do rule. They ought to be respected and obeyed, but not because of their great personal presence, 
Um, none of you, that's not a temptation or problem for any of you. There's another reason to be thankful for me, maybe. Or out of fear or raw power or any abuse of authority. But because the saints trust him as a man who knows and lives, teaches and rules according to the Bible. So that's the word obey. It's obedience to the commands of God because he has convinced you that's what God says. The second word is submit. And that means to yield to someone in power. Someone in authority you surrender to. You give way. Now, this is a necessary part of having someone over you in the Lord, as the scripture says. Because there are many parts of church life in which the scripture doesn't give specific directives. For example, although scripture is plain that we must worship God publicly on the Lord's Day, it doesn't set the hour. It doesn't say how many times, how long the meeting is, whether there will be a nursery or not, on and on the list could go, right? Those given ruling authority in, in the church by Christ, that is the elders, they lead in these things. They rule in these things. They make decisions. And members must yield. They must submit. Even if they're inclined otherwise. Even if in their judgment, they would choose something differently. Unless scriptural, scripturally it can be shown to be wrong, Submission is the duty in these areas. So obedience is about a member's conscience being carried, and he goes along. And submission is about a member bowing his will in the other areas and going along. Do you see the difference? Obedience, let me repeat it, obedience is about a member's conscience being carried from the word of God. And so he goes along with what the pastor says. Submission in those areas where the Bible doesn't speak directly, but is in the authority of the church, that's where a member bows his will and goes along. Now, every pastor carries around with him a climate of authority. There is a certain feel to his leadership. You might ask yourself, is my leader always ready to fight? Or does it feel like he would listen to me if I came to him? Is he weak or is he courageous? Is he loving and kind? Is he wise? Does he readily take counsel from others? Is he a servant to those in need? Does he instruct with gentleness? All of these things and many more, these are all found in scripture, give a certain climate or feel to his leadership. Now sometimes, hopefully very infrequently, leaders must obey Paul's word to Titus in chapter one, verse 13, where he says to sharply rebuke certain people so they will be sound in the faith. But Paul also teaches in 2 Timothy in several places that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, 
but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So what is commanded in verse 17 is a call to obedience and submission that's rooted in real authority. Pastors are rulers. They're leaders appointed by Christ to implement his will in his house. But they do this under and by the word of God and hopefully with an aura or a, or a sense or a, a climate that begins to approximate the gentle, lowly king of the church, Jesus Christ. You see, Christ does not want tyranny in his church, nor does he want anarchy. Well, next, given in verse 17, there is a reason why you should submit and obey. Obey your leaders and submit to them for. That means because. Here's a reason. Because they're keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. One day, a real day, I will stand before Jesus Christ and I will give an account for your souls. God has given you as a concern to me and a responsibility. And so I politely beg you to make that impossible job somewhat doable by submitting and obeying. Well, then a motive is given. He says, quick and full obedience, that will lead to joy for your elders, and that will lead ultimately to your spiritual advantage. So in other words, don't just obey, don't just submit, quickly. Readily, heartily obey and submit. Submit without murmuring. Don't do it with gossip or complaint. Now, of course, there is a place for you giving your opinion and offering advice. Remember, pastors are part of the congregation too. They're not above and over you and outside of the church. They're co-members with you. And some of you have in the past done this very, very well. Pastor, could you come to our house because we have a few questions for you. Wonderful. One, well done. Well done when you do it that way. But after your opinion is given and after the decision is made, if it wasn't to your liking, don't be sour. <laughs> you see, just like you, the joy of the Lord is your pastor's strength. The more you obey, the more you offer to submit, the, the happier you do it, the more joy it brings to him. It makes his hard job easier. You know, a discouraged heart might give up. Proverbs 13, 12. 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oh, when will they obey? When will they quit doing that and do this? Oh, why won't they listen to me? Why aren't my prayers being heard? But a, desired, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That makes the sap run even in old maple trees in the spring. All right? You see, if your pastor is strong, he will be strong for you. So make your pastor joyful not full of groaning. Brothers and sisters, I hope you understand that my spirits do not go up and down in a week based on the stock market. They only go up and down. They rise and fall with you. It's really that simple. A true pastor's heart rises and falls with his people. And so I say with John, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Oh, that strengthens me. That blesses me. That helps me to go on to say that next difficult word or to keep praying or to whatever it might be. Now, it's important for you to notice that in this verse, you are not required to obey or submit to other people's pastors. Wives, you have to submit to your husband. You don't have to submit to anybody else's husband. To your great relief. If you're a church member here, you don't have to submit to anyone else, just the ones God has put over you. Just your leaders, as the verse says. Obey your leaders. <laughs> Other pastors don't keep watch over your souls. They will not have to give an account for you. I do. And as inadequately as I do it, I am the one assigned to you to obey and submit to and for you to give joy to. This also means very quickly that this is a good warning about too much dependence on outside pastors and conferences and podcasts and whatever. Amen. Those things aren't wrong in themselves. Sometimes they are. But they can undermine your relationship to your leaders and that can be spiritually detrimental to you. Yes. Well, fourth and finally, here's the Final command of Christ to church members. Know and befriend your pastors. Know and befriend them. That's found in verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Now there are several things taught about leaders incidentally in this verse. As good churchmen you should know these. So we're going to run through two real quickly before we get to the main point. First, leaders are normally plural in number in a church. Paul appointed elders, plural, in every church, not an elder in every church. 
Now, there were times this wasn't possible. See Titus 1.5 for an example of that. But a plurality of leaders is the goal. There's an orderliness about it, as the scriptures call it. And we are, as a church, and, and speaking personally, we're actively pursuing this through prayer, the development of men inside the congregation, and even searching for men outside. May the Lord help us to not be impatient on the one hand, or give up on the other. Secondly, this verse tells us that leaders are a part of the church, and yet they hold a distinct place in it. It's like Philippians 1.1, where Paul writes, quote, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Pastors are members in the church. We are congregationalists, not Presbyterians. A lot of you don't know that local presbyters, local presbyteries, in uh, at least ordinarily the Reformed and Presbyterian churches, those men are not actual members of their congregation. They're at a, um, well, they're members of the board of elders above or over the church. We don't find that in the Bible. We believe that pastors are members in the church. They're of the church. They're with the church. They're in the church. But at the same time, their office does distinguish them from the rest of the saints. So it is appropriate to show respect, perhaps by what you call them. You all do that very well. I'm grateful for that. Frankly, not so much for my own benefit, but for the honor of the office. That's really important. But thirdly, and most importantly, all of your leaders should be known to you and part of your circle of friendship at some level. You see, it's necessary for you to do that so that you can obey the command to greet them all. Greet all your leaders. <laughs> the word greet means to know them, to wish them well, to pay respects, to mentally and or physically embrace them. So you will not fulfill this command merely by mouthing words, but you will by developing a friendly relationship with them. So labor to know your pastors, especially in regard to their work in the Lord. Pray for their concerns. Then when you see them, at least occasionally, ask how they are doing in regard to these things. I had a brother call me yesterday after a awful week. And he was sense enough, sensitive enough to me to know I needed a call. I needed, a pr I needed prayer. I needed encouragement. I so thank God for that. So this is a command to show pastors Christian affection. And performing this will greatly cheer your pastor, I promise. All right? Now three quick uses and then we will be done. First, churches may, churches may need to have size limits to make sure that pastors can know their people and the people can know all their elders. 
if it's a command for me to oversee all the sheep, I have to know you all. If there are so many of you, I can't do that. And we're in danger of that. More elders need to be added or a church plant needs to happen. Something needs to change. If you don't know all your pastors, there are too many or they're spread out or there are so many people you can't get to them, you're not able to obey God. That can't be right. Something needs to be done about that. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that uh, large churches are wrong or evil. I said we may, churches may need to do something. You see, because churches where pastors can't watch over all the people for their spiritual good and where the people can't know their leaders, they're clearly acting contrary to Scripture. And the fact is, we are too often concerned about looking successful in the eyes of the world instead of being concerned with obeying God for His glory and our blessing in the church. We tend to follow the pattern of the world or business than our Bibles and the spiritual benefit doesn't come to the people of God like they ought. Here's a second use. Here's another reminder to lay hands on no man quickly, which is 1 Timothy 5.22. That is, men shouldn't be made elders and deacons without a thorough comparison of their lives with the scriptural qualifications. Why do I say this? Because if you've just heard what a pastor has to do, and what's expected back from members, well then pastors really need the graces, the gifts, the wisdom, and the maturity required in the Bible if they are going to succeed in church leadership. They have to answer for God, to God, for your souls. Now that's a weight, a responsibility that should not be laid on any man if God hasn't laid it on him. We long for the day when some of you men feel that and the church agrees and we can share the load. Well, thirdly and finally, a large part of the peace and unity in a church is found in obedience and submission to leaders. A large part of peace and unity in a church is found in obedience and submission to leaders. This is because there are many decisions that need to be made in a church that are about circumstances. Things that aren't right or wrong in themselves according to the Bible. Someone has to make these decisions and God hasn't ordained just anyone to do that. But proven men chosen by the congregation to decide and lead for them. As we will see, Lord willing, next week, elders are, are called managers and overseers in the church. And so they need to demonstrate that they know how to lead. That's why your family life is so important, men. That's the way to office. It isn't your theological acumen. It's, are you leading your family properly? Because if you know how to do it in your family and it's proven, you could probably do it for the church of God. And for the people of God, learning to say, okay, 
I'll follow your lead in this, Pastor. That's obedience to God. That lays the groundwork for peace and unity in the body. And remember, according to the end of Psalm 133, that's the place that God blesses. So let's pray and strive after these things.